Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Isn't a Debate, uh, a podcast where we talk about different forms of media, technology, TVs, movie, video games, new, old. We tear them apart and argue amongst ourselves. Uh, today, I've got Reed. Hey, what's up? And I've got Cody. Yep, I'm here. And I, of course, am your gracious host, Audio. And today, we're going to be talking about something that I think is um, at the core of just about every 30-plus-year-old's fantasy. Uh, and that is, of course, Final Fantasy, more specifically, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. So before we, before we get started, I know you both probably have a ton to say, right? Because there's so much to dissect between all of these different things. I want to set the mood, okay? I need to get you in the right headspace. Is that, can I do that? Can I at least attempt to get you in the headspace? Yeah, sure. Yes, and. Wow. <laughs> the lack of excitement is astounding. All right, so. I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. The year is 2001. Not after Colony 195. Yeah. <laughs> the year. All right, all right. 2001. We are in 2001, okay? You are on the Final Fantasy bandwagon. Bagwagon? Bandwagon, okay? You played Final Fantasy VII. The next year, you got Final Fantasy VIII. You just got finished playing Final Fantasy IX. A couple of months later, they announced Final Fantasy X. They announced Final Fantasy XI, which is the online for the PC, and they tell you that a movie's coming out, okay? A Final Fantasy-themed movie. Okay, so here we are. We get around, we're gone through January, we get to July, a $137 million doll hairs budget movie. All right, huge cast. You got uh, uh, Ming Nguyen, which she did the voice for Mulan. You've got Alex Baldwin. You've got Ving Rams. You've got Steve Buscemi, Donald Sutherland, James Wood. Like, this is like, this is like the cast of like the early 2000s, right? Everybody knows who these people are. And if you don't, shame on you, right? Mm -hmm. Get this movie. And this movie is basically pitched as a Final Fantasy movie. But what happened? So, so I'll just start off with, did you guys see it in theaters? I did, yeah. You did? I okay. Watched it at Reed's house. I don't think I saw it in theaters with you. I don't remember anything about this. No, I like. But I know I that I've in, seen it at least once. Yeah, I saw it in theaters with my old man. I snuck in because I was living a different kind of lifestyle at that time. So I snuck in. I remember sneaking in, and I thought like I was expecting like like Star Wars pack theater when I went right because I went on opening night, and it was like me. And one creepy dude that sat at the, I remember it too. He sat in the very first row, which is like, I, who chooses to do that in a, in a, in a movie theater? Oh my yeah. God. And like, I remember watching the movie. So like a quick, a quick sum up. The movie is basically about aliens and you, you have this alien infected doctor and we're trying to get rid of these aliens, but then they become ghosts. Right. So now we've got ghosts and basically we're, we're, we're juggling the concept of spirits coming from an alien planet and infecting Earth. Uh, and and then you have the terms that are thrown around it like Gaia. Right. The spirit of the Earth. And you've got the ever 
vigilant general who just wants to take care of everything by being a complete and utter asshole and basically shooting the earth with a gun. I mean, wow. Hey, James Woods, <laughs> excellent choice for the villain's voice, I feel like. Just, yeah. just fantastic. I, I'd agree. Right, but I wonder which like which version of the script that he got, right? Because, you know, they rewrote the script like nine times before they even started oh, it was something It was more than that, wasn't it? Like, the, I mean, I, I want to say I remember reading one of the statistics about it had 50 different rewrites. It was it was um, something stupid, right? And that's yeah, before it was, yeah. And it was all like early rewrites before production really, really got started, right? Um, and and that's that. So that's another thing. It's like the production of this movie. So like, for those that aren't in the know, right? Before Square Enix was a a thing, you had Square Soft as a company, and this was a is like a a sub housing of that, which was Square Pictures. They formed in 1997. They actually said they were going to make the movie in 1998. Um, they were a small picture studio out of uh, Hawaii, if I remember correctly. And their whole thing, their whole pitch was basically to create a character, right, that was going to be the face of computer animation, right? This movie was completely made with computers. There's not a real camera in any of it, right? This is all just computer animation and their yeah. technology was human emotion and human movement mimicked by a computer. And so that person was Aki Ross, which is the main, the main person from it. So how do y'all feel about Aki Ross knowing that information? Like she's supposed to be like, not just this movie, like they were going to put her in all kinds of shit. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say like one of the things that I do remember reading um was they already had plans for the essentially like the the fake character Aki Ross to kind of be this actress to go mm -hmm. and uh be in several different movies and stories and things like that. Um one of the more interesting things too is when this movie came out, right? Um Aki Ross not Ming Na Wen, Aki Ross got an interesting level of acclaim, right? Like Entertainment Weekly proclaimed that Aki Ross was the film, like was an it girl, uh, which I had to look mm -hmm. up what that was. Um, Maxim, uh, number eighty-seven in the yeah, purple bikini, baby. Yep, what like Maxim and its readers voted Aki Ross to be the eighty-seventh sexiest woman ever. Um. And like there were a few other things like uh, hmm. it's really, really interesting how incredible of a job um, all of the uh, designers and stuff at Square Pictures did with the rendering of Aki Ross. Because I remember. So first of all, like for my own part as a kid, I remember watching this movie in theaters and being blown away just 100% blown away and I couldn't believe that those weren't people right now watching it now I absolutely can oh, you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, like, yeah I mean I see it's like that's there's really a, funny I'm 100% the opposite I, I don't remember hardly anything about this like I hold no great love for this movie in me because I don't really remember any of it from our childhood but I do remember that I found it extremely boring when I was young but this time around, I really enjoyed it. Like the animation is incredible for 2001. Yeah. Um, like, like a, they haven't mastered crying yet because nobody right. actually does that. 
but they right. always they seem like they're gonna a few times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was like it's just very, very, very impressive. And like some of the comparisons that uh Aki Ross gets from like the New York Times and a few other like magazines and so on, talking about like comparing her to like the actual Julie Roberts or Julia Roberts rather. You know what I mean? Like and it's it's just like really, really interesting. Um because like it, it shows me that I'm not the only person, right, that was kind of stunned uh back in two thousand one when I saw this. Right. Um mm-hmm. so it's like it's super, super interesting. Now again, like Cody said he was the opposite. Watching this as an adult, I'm like, I was I knew that it probably wouldn't hold up to my memory because I haven't it did seen not it age since well. Co- yeah, since Cody and I watched it together. It aged a lot better than I thought it would. Um, mm. Now, the writing uh, the did not actors. age well. but the voice like, actors got me through most of it just alone. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't look well, I mean, that's a powerhouse cast, man. Like, Steve Buscemi at his prime, like that yeah. quick little rattle off. Yeah. Oh, that, the, like, he, he delivered his line so well. I, I, I just reminded him of more. Reservoir Dogs, like Mr. Pink Steve and Buscemi. Reservoir Dogs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Edward Norton. His character looks so much like Edward Norton to me. He does, yes. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with that. Too, Alec yeah. Baldwin's character looks like Chris Pine and Ben Affleck crossed together. So he's like Chris <laughs> Affleck. I was a strong say, jaw, bro. I, I was going to say Ben Affleck and um, fucking what's-his-face from... Uh, There's definitely the uh, scene... The guy that plays Agent Booth in Bone. And you can't have a team without yeah, being okay. right. Like, you can't, can't have You really fucking can't. Right. You really can't. Talk about uh, what's his name? He played he's Angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, what's his name? Uh David something. And Borens? Borenes? Sorry, I can't Bor- say Borenes, yeah. Something like Yeah, that. yeah. We know who we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, there's one scene um where they're in the elevator, right? And they the elevator gets stopped. And like there's one scene when they cut over to his face. I was like, yo, what is Ben Affleck doing in my final fantasy? <laughs> yeah, right. Get out of here, Batman. Like, hold up. I even I even stopped, rewound it, and did like a freeze bam. And I said, yo, that it really it really do just be like like baby cheek Ben Affleck. That's what it is. Reindeer. Alec game Baldwin's is voice is so uh like recognizable though like yeah. now yeah. since this movie i feel like it's yeah. every time i hear him talk i just want i feel like Alex back Ross then to he, go i just want yeah. her to say you sound just like just like alec baldwin <laughs> <laughs> i mean you have like as far as like the the cast itself goes i have absolutely no complaint with the cast i mean you've got uh donald uh sutherland doing basically what donald sutherland does which is bringing that age-old um god damn it bible belt thumping doctor voice that he does i, I don't know how to describe it that's just that's what i get from it so um, his name explains it all donald sutherland yeah <laughs> you know isn't he like Kiefer sutherland's uncle or dad or something like that maybe i mean yeah yeah possibly I'm gonna say yes you I'm say gonna, no uh, that way we'll be right excellent <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Um, so like, so like, let's jump into the movie, right? Because there's a lot of talk about the movie, but I think probably one of the things we'll end up talking about most is how much of an impact this movie had, not only on the Final Fantasy Final Fantasy series, but on Square, as well as Sony, as well as because we talked about it a little bit earlier, 
Square Pictures uh, made the uh, the very first episode of the Animatrix, which is the Flight of the Osiris. Uh, for those mm-hmm. that are not familiar with that, and you haven't seen the Animatrix, which is a prequel to the Matrix, that could be an episode. I'm willing to talk about the Matrix all the fucking time. Um, <laughs> but so it, it, it's really interesting um, the movie itself, right? So like we'll we'll go back to it. It's basically we're in we're like in like this just apocalyptic earth, right? We're apocalyptic earth. And essentially what has happened is an, uh, uh, an asteroid from space landed and all of these things that, uh, the people from earth have named as phantoms, uh, come out of this, uh, asteroid and just start like tearing shit up. Right. They're, they're killing people. And the, the basically, uh, cities are now like in biomes where they're protected by like this energy field. Um, and so like we kind of open up on, what I thought was really cool animation with uh, Aki Ross, she, she comes out of her her ship and she drops down and, you know, she shoots off her flare gun. And then you start seeing like these phantoms and they're like their ethereal kind of like fading orange kind of thing. And it really sets the mood for, oh, shit, this isn't really the final fantasy that I thought it was going to be. This has got like some serious, super deep sci fi vibes, which is cool. But I think that that's like a lot of why it maybe didn't do as well. It really missed that target audience. I mean, what what do you guys think? I have questions about the beginning of it because, I mean, I love the dream sequence scenes. I like really liked those scenes. But when she first comes in and she shoots that like flare gun thing, it kind of counter like contradicts the rest of the movie because like they can just see them later. And it's like, I assumed it's a thing. It's a thing to like see them, so she can see them, to, like alert. Well, so they kind of go through that. That when they go to the wasteland, they set off like big, bigger style flare wards that draws them in. Yeah. And then in the city, they're basically saying that they got in through the thing that powers the shield, which is the same kind of like technology that made like the flares and whatnot. So they do explain enough okay pre- like they call it i like guess that's fair to infer that but I, I didn't infer that from the information given i guess i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i mean that's fine because like that's the only that's the thing it's like there are definitely parts of the movie where we get like really half ass explanations and you kind of have to like accept that with no other history and this kind of goes with i think a thing that may be a theme for me as a person in this podcast is like I like fleshed out thoughts that at least you have to make me make sense. Right. Like essentially we meet, we meet them and like, she's just there. Right. And then she, she just starts rattling off about spirits and, and like she gets a fucking plant and like, it just, there's so much that happens up until when you first meet Dr. Sid and you get that explanation that just feels so very clunky so there's a lot of things that the movie does well i feel like um consistency to its own rules is one of the things that i feel like it does do well uh the there's not a lot of ham-fisted exposition which i also appreciate like we are as audience members treated to be intelligent i would have to 100 disagree with that it's full of ham-fisted exposition like every time you look at a screen, it's, a, it's trying to tell you exposition. Characters explain things frequently that they would all already know. Um, I, I mean, it I, I enjoyed like, it, but like a lot of the exposition is given and given to you in a way that's like, 
why are they explaining this to each other? Like they all should already know this. They do that. I would say that's true for like their like personal history. They do that. But like when it comes to the world, they don't do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, like they, they do, do kind of use. They definitely they do. Use, I can uh, give, give me an example. Okay, yeah, so, okay, example. I can. When they go I mean, to the place where he, his dad died near the end, and he explains it to everyone what this is, and they would all definitely know what this is. Okay, I can go. I can Who's go dead? earlier than that, right? Uh, I Ving Rhames' character. Yeah, Ving Rhames' character Ryan. I feel like gets used as like this sounding board where. He, where it's like, all right, you remember in class when like you'd have two teachers? I don't even remember what senior's talking about. We'll get, I'll, I'll, I can circle back to Cody. So like, I'll start with when they first get into like the city, right? And they go through like the scanners and stuff and uh, captain's infected. And like, they spend all this time explaining like, um, and you and using uh, Ving Rhames' character, Ryan, I mean, I'm referring to, they use Ryan as like a way of explaining how that technology works, Right. But if they were out in the field every all the time, it would just be common knowledge. Because like, okay, they, 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 you two have clearly been out of the workforce for a very long time. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, because that is my day to day life. Like, yes, they know that. But that's also. You don't think I don't know exactly how some of the conversations I'm going to have with my coworkers are going to go. That is a hot, like I hundred percent know exactly how this conversation is going to go. But are and you so in space they. And we have it anyway. No, yeah, no. Is there an alien about. invasion like, on the earth? <laughs> no, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like I'm like, okay. So part of my job, right. Is like, we do support stuff, right? So like we have, we all lament certain aspects of that, like certain aspects of our support stuff. We all lament having to deal with certain things and certain people, um, and certain interactions, right? We all share these frustrations. We all know it. And yet we all continue to have the exact same venting conversations about this shit sucks. I wish we didn't have to do this. I don't want to get my body scanned again. You know what? But we have to, because like, you're just, that's just how people are. Right. Like, so I guess what I'm getting at. You can argue that sure, it's for our benefit, but like, it's also accurate there was dialogue like there, there so many just, times like it's just there's dialogue in that particular scene where they're basically explaining the way she's going in and cutting them up with this laser that they just go right back over in in the scene that's literally five minutes in when dr sid starts explaining all of the technology and how he created it and how it worked and stuff it's just like extra so you're talking about like whenever the and when she quotes his accomplishments to him like right Okay, that part, yeah, that 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 part actually. And so, like the other part, the other part. But again, that's like that's personal history. Like, Like, it does for character development exposition. Like, it may be personal history, but I know that's what I'm saying. Like, she for every every time they ever introduce personal history, yes, it is always ham fisted. Like the the writers are bad at doing any kind of major character development in any capacity. But when it comes to like the details of the world, no, I don't feel like we're given a lot of exposition. In fact, to your point about like, why can they see those monsters? They all fucking have glasses. Like they all have goggles on. Not once do they ever talk about how like, oh, our goggles let us see these things. But every single one of those motherfuckers have blue goggles on. Except she does doctor. And she can see them. She does mm. in the very beginning, but she can't see yeah. them until She's they're like, hit with has the, like, the yeah. stuff. I also, so. also have one continuity problem. Where like, okay, so they're like their blue souls get knocked out of them when they get like, you know, gone through by right. one of the aliens. But there's one scene 
or the guy gets his soul eaten out of him. Is that just a yeah. particularly malicious phantom? Or <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. I think like you know, he get gobble gobbled I, up though for real. Yeah. I remember yeah. that too, and I was thinking, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Because like that threw me for a little to me. I was like, wait, is what I think is happening really happening, or am I wrong? See, to me, that's actually my one of my big complaints is that's how most of the deaths should have happened. Right? Is it should have been like that because we're eventually explained that uh the ghosts are hostile and aggressive because they've all just known war and aggression and hate and anger and everything like that right right but you don't ever really see acts of aggression that often except like you occasionally see it from like the humanoid uh phantoms whenever they try to like send their little tentacle cthulhu arms out and like yank a spirit out cthulhu arms. but you only ever see like the um the big ones the metas you only ever see one of them actually like perform an act of aggression once. And that was like when he ate the guy. And I feel like we should be seeing more of that. If their whole thing is like, they're a bunch of like angry disgruntled ghosts yeah. that have been, you know, evicted. most of the big ones are just kind of doing their thing. Like they're not, I mean, they are dangerous, but they're not like actively attacking people. They're just kind of like cruising around. Right. Which I mean, maybe that fits with them being like, cause I think Aki makes the comparison to like whales or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that fits with that. But like, at the same time, I, if they were just walking around, then, like, why are they just suddenly walking around on the ground? It's also interesting to me, too, how, like, sometimes there's a ground and sometimes there's not a ground. Wait, what do you mean? Uh, what? So I mean this in the sense of, like, okay, so you have some that fly, and then you have some that can walk. But the ones that, but, like, they all just come out of the ground. Uh, so why is it that the ones that can walk decide where the ground oh, is that's, on the actual ground? Why do they decide point. that the actual ground that is, is the ground? That is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> why don't I mean, they? Why do you just float all the fucking time? Like, <laughs> right. why Why limit yourself to the matters of mortal man? When right, you can just like, hover I know why. I, I can actually explain that because it looks cinematically really cool when they climb out of the ground. <laughs> I mean, right, but like now we know where the budget went, <laughs> or why don't they stop like you know 100 feet under the ground? You know what I mean? Like, why don't it just, they phase into existence? Why don't like, they adopt assassin technique to become more stealthy and sneak up why on don't their faces? Standing around like an RPG. Clearly, RPG. these guys never saw anything yeah, right. supernatural. Have, haven't they learned it's not their turn yet? It's still, <laughs> it's still my turn order. Okay, like my my ATB gauge filled first. All right. Oh my fucking god! You have to stop it right now. Oh, the beginning of this movie does seem like, uh, like watching somebody play a video game, but they're like really scared to get killed. Yes, it's like watching somebody play Final Fantasy not, as if it were Dark Souls. Her movement is <laughs> not like quite perfect. There's still that uncanny valley aspect to it. So you're like, she looks like she could be a person. Like if I had my glasses off. I would definitely think yeah. she was a person. But then when she starts to move, like, it gets better. I get used to it as I watch the movie. But when she's first stepping off that ship, before she shoots the flare, I'm like, okay, turn off uh, turn off slow walk. Turn turn the run function on. Come on. Yeah, so that's one of the other things, too, that I found pretty interesting was, so most of the movements, um, like walking, hand, stuff like that, was all mocap. Facial expressions were all done manually. Um, and I feel like that makes a lot of sense, can, like to your point about them not being able to cry. 
Like, some of her spaces. There were a lot of really are, weird facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, one I'm of like, the things. What, you, what is your reaction to this? Is what I was like looking at her when like some things happen. I think her like look is supposed to be shocked, but it kind of looks like almost enticing. Yeah. There were a couple of times when I thought that the uh, the the girl, uh, I forget who she's voiced by, but Jan uh, is like, she's like shooting her gun. But it's like she's having an aneurysm and her whole body is just flailing all over the place. And maybe that is the technology. I don't know. Maybe they were like, yo, let's try jiggle physics early and just get that out the way because that's where the real market is. But like there was the the scene. They're like they're fixing the uh, they're in the hangar. Right. And she's like guarding Neil and he's fixing everything. And the, the thing starts coming out the ground and it does that. <laughs> I. I wish that we had video for these podcasts sometimes because, like, it does that thing where, like, it just starts flapping its hands up and down rhythmically like a fucking, like, a hypnosis Pokemon or something coming at them. And, like, she just kind of starts, like, shooting and, like, her whole body's shaking all over the place. And, like, at no other point in the whole movie does anyone fire a gun like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was so, it was so jarring to watch. Um, It's Jane. Who? Is it Jan or Jane? Does it matter? Perry, Perry Gilpin voices her. We just haven't said her who voices her. She's a, like she's she's person. she's there uh, to be angry. That's her role. She just basically yeah. grunts yeah. and goes ah bombuck. One interesting about yeah, this there's is the a- fact that it's Final Fantasy, but there's no swords, so the guns are huge. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's not Final Fantasy elements, and that kind of circles back to. Could you what our was this point was which I was gonna like yeah so I have a point about that like the lack of a sword is actually that that is actually strange. However, it not being a fantasy setting is not strange, not in any capacity. And anyone that yeah. makes that argument never actually played a Final Fantasy game. It's, I think it's the way because it was Final Fantasy it like was approached right because like the way they they built up the marketing hype before they started showing anything is it's Final Fantasy. So in that time frame. When you say Final Fantasy, you're not thinking about the overall concept of multiple worlds, right? Like Final Fantasy goes back to like the very first Final Fantasy, right? It was called Final Fantasy because they were literally going bankrupt if this if their game did not sell. Period. Like it, Uh, it, right, right. So it's the Final Fantasy game, but it's also like one of the reasons why fantasy is in there is because it was a fantasy game because they were, um, fuck, what is his name? Why can't I think of the name of the director? Uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was trying to make a Dungeons and Dragons game. Like that. And he couldn't sell it, right? That's what he was trying to do. So like final, the, the very first final fantasy is basically an adaptation of, a D and D. Right. Um the reasons why it's so hard. And so, like to circle back to the sword thing, I think you guys are all forgetting what the Zeus cannon looked like. I'm not forgetting what it's a fucking like space sword. Have. It's a space sword, dog. <laughs> it's a space sword. There's definitely a, Okay. There's, all right, fair. It it, it I did guess look like a space the, sword or a big cross. Right. Also, I love like the sort of damn confrontation. But, like James Woods is only like there with them like for maybe one scene with all of them and then the one scene with um the captain the captain and he's like never he's like clearly the villain but he's never there with the characters and even at the one during his finale he's like 
just going insane by himself. Yeah. Fire the cannon! Like a, yeah, that is an interesting point. I, I love mean, um, James Woods devolve into an insanity. It's just. <laughs> I mean, I. I'm, but like, right. my so the the reason why I say like it to say that it's not like any Final Fantasy game, and the reason why that's disingenuous is because, all right, so the movie came out between Final Fantasy nine and ten. Actually, came out like a month, not even a month before uh, Final Fantasy ten did. Mm-mm, no. Um, no. 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 Final Fantasy X didn't come out until 2002. Got pushed back. Final Fantasy X came out July 19, 2001. So a week, uh, a week and a half. No, that does, that's not right. A week and a half after this came out. Yeah, um, that's what I was meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it the, was so um, good. <laughs> was it yeah, right? really? So like the, it's my the favorite movie, one. So like, okay, so the point is, the movie came out between Final Fantasies 9 and 10. So with Final Fantasy VI, you have a minor departure away from fantasy elements into sci-fi elements with Magitek soldiers. With Final Fantasy VII, you have a wholesale departure away from any and all fantasy elements, and you reside strictly and fiercely only in the sci-fi. I don't know. I feel like Final Fantasy VII has definite fantasy elements. I mean, this is just a... This became Here like Magitek. This is basically like you magic. summon things in Final Fantasy VII. That's fantasy. Not really, because you summon things via materia, which is a scientific element. Science so it's fantasy. Like, it's the same. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's like it's my mind. There's a <laughs> Cody. There's you know, a... you, did you have a Stretch Armstrong when you were a child? Yes, that's I science see fantasy. I see some reaches. <laughs> I see some reaches. So I mean, like. All forms of magic, whether it was like, whether you used the steel materia, the fire materia, the summon materia, like all that stuff, like materia was created from an element from the planet. And like, it was a scientific invention for you to be able to do these things. Now, sure, there's definitely an interesting argument to be made, like, well, why are the summons what they are versus what they are not? So and are there, I mean, like, what this isn't a conversation about FF7, right? That's what I, I guess I, I need to ask you. You- so I'm just talking about like the the very um, stereotypical like kind of archetypes of high fantasy and low fantasy, right? Like you have your high fantasy stuff being things like, well, D and D is a pretty good example of high fantasy, and low fantasy would be like Conan the Barbarian. Um, but like, I'm not saying there's not you know, yes, you can definitely make an argument. That's why it's called science fiction, right? Because there's a lot of fictitious and therefore fantastical elements to ff7 like I'm, I'm i'm really not debating that point i'm just saying that like for what you consider to be like the archetypes of high fantasy and low fantasy oh yeah i mean if Final you fantasy ask me what it was, i would say sci-fi but if you like try right. to say there's no fantasy in it i've just like had an right. issue with that i guess but i mean like it's it's just such a oh here's a fantasy element for you vincent's a vampire um boom. like you have and there's a boom. dog okay there's a dog character it's true it's true we that's have an awakened animal if i've ever seen furry. one yeah from a whole speech actually no his dad was a human um so anyway so you Whatever. have like, i played it no wait okay. no wait his dad his grandpa was a human his dad was a dog too um but you have like um all of these like sci-fi elements in final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 8 is very similar and it deals with fucking time travel like you don't get much more 
fit like sci-fi than time travel, right? And like Final Fantasy VIII has a lot of that heavily rooted in it. Um, and if I remember correctly, Squall is like a clone. And anyway, I can't remember. It's been so long since I played eight. But like the point is, is that like you have really strong sci-fi elements in seven and eight. And then even with nine, which um, was originally intended to be the last Final Fantasy um, when it was written and developed and everything. And like uh, you have nine trying to combine and reconcile all of these sci-fi elements from the previous two games with some of its like more fantasy heritage and everything. Right. And so then this movie comes out after that. So to me, it fits for them to like the, them being deeply rooted in science fiction with other planets. Cause I mean, fuck in nine, you bounce back and forth between the planet Terra and the planet Gaia, which is who the, like, which oh, yeah. is the planet that the main character is from. Absolutely. Like, so the concept of aliens isn't even that much of a far cry from them, like because they they've technically done it before. Uh, Genova is an alien, right? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think it was. So for me, I don't think it was ever like a. This isn't a Final Fantasy movie. It's just not. I guess the as much sci-fi as it was, I wasn't as expecting. Like I was, I was expecting more of like that that epic. I mean, I'll say I was expecting a fucking sword. I really yeah. was at some point. It, I really was. It, it's not as I'm epic. I'm surprised they called it the Zeus cannon. And the scale like, say, is not like a Final Fantasy game. And I feel like that's when when I think of Final Fantasy, I think of a huge scale and like really epic characters. And like this movie doesn't really have those things. So I'll tell you one of the reasons why. And this may or may not shock you. <laughs> Final Fantasy. No, no, here we go. So Final Fantasy, like the spirits within, was not written for a Japanese audience. Oh, no. And it was not written to be recorded in Japanese. No, it seems like it was it written was... for these specific people that voice these characters. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, that too. But I mean, like, the movie was targeted at Western, specifically American audience. Yeah, I mean, they're riding that commercial high off of seven and eight. Yeah. You know, they had developed know nine. Guys, They're like, yeah, we got to we got to we got to do something to keep the Western audience attached to this. Because that's I the money you guys is. like Japanese. Like you listen to things in Japanese normally when you watch anime and things like that. So I was like, yeah, it makes the dialogue less cringy. Yeah, I, I, I can understand Slightly. that. Like personal preference is what it is. Um, But I was thinking I was like, are they going to watch this in Japanese? I didn't look, I didn't know that before you just said that. But I was like, are they going to watch this in Japanese? Because they're really missing out if they do. There isn't yeah, an option. My plan. Oh, well, there you go. I was about to say, like, my plan was I was going to watch it in English because I figured that would be what we would all watch it in. And then I was going to see if I could find a Japanese version. And I there isn't an option to on Amazon. Um, but more importantly, they like it. This wasn't released in Japan until almost like a full month. Uh, no, actually in September. Yeah, it was like so it was, it was like three months. full months after. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, it's kind of interesting because it's not what you really expect. I feel like out of a final fantasy, because one of the things that makes all of the final fantasies, what they are is because it is a Japanese game company making games for Japan. Like, cause Japan is very insular like that. Um, and so like you get a lot of heavy draw from Western fantasy elements as well as some Japanese fantasy elements, and that kind of together intermingles, and that's usually what makes a Final Fantasy game. Like, you could probably go 
in almost every single Final Fantasy game. I won't say everyone because I'm not positive because I haven't played two or three. Um, but you can find Aren't the sword. And five and six. N- no. The American two and three is the Japanese five and six, but there is technically a Japanese one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, but actually, it's four and six. That's besides the point. Uh, so the you can almost guarantee to be able to find the sword uh, Masamune and the sword uh, Leonhardt. And nope, I'm trying to think about what some of the other like every single one of these has these weapons. Bahamut. Um. Oh yeah, Bahamut is almost always in some form. And Sid. In like every single... Uh, oh, so Sid's actually in the movie. I don't know if anybody else caught that, but Dr. Sid, they spell it wrong, but like Sid, yeah. even in the movie, he's in every game and he's in the fucking movie. He's the only consistent fucking... Also, another... S-I-D, right? C-I-D. There's also another Easter egg for those that were... So when I, I I remembered enough of the plot that what I really was looking for in this new watch through was um oh yeah Easter egg more thing go ahead just like in every other Final Fantasy there's an airship in this one yeah there is yeah and it's a spaceship but like <laughs> there's also technically the chick an airship there's also the Chikobo on Doctor Aki's shirt when they're in the lab and she's in her non uniform standard gray white shirt oh, in the actual God. stitching. There I did one. not catch the chocobo. That's awesome. <laughs> so it is there, and it, it, it is it is enough uh, of a frame that if you don't focus on her mm, uh, kids, plug your ears, earmuffs, uh, blowjob lips. So if you don't focus <laughs> on those and you look down at her... Um, Please mm, call DSLs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they're called. So anyway, so so it's definitely there. It's in that scene. Um, and it is, it's a five second, it's a five second frame with dialogue. And it, it's just enough time that if you were looking for it, it's in the stitching. Um, Chicken. In the stitching of the shirt itself. Yeah. So it's, I, I thought that was really cool. Um, One of my favorite parts is when Neil, I, his character's name is, drives that thing and it has a manual gearbox. Oh, yeah. They're like little uh, ATVs or whatever. Power, baby. <laughs> uh, I will say this. I also like really, really, really appreciated the ending, and it reminded me strongly of Final Fantasy X. <clears throat> yeah. Um, see that. Kind of like the whole like person sacrifices themselves, which is a pretty common theme for like any final fantasy game. There's always someone sacrificing. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like not writing away and being purified. is like the same thing that happens at the end of final. Yeah. Fantasy. But I say it's more about like less the sacrifice, more the tableau that gets painted mm-hmm. because you watch kind of Titus drift up in a way. And like, he's grabbing you in his hand. And that's literally what we watch happen inside of this. Actually, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious if like the uh the scene designer for Final Fantasy 10 kind of like saw that movie was like, "You know what? That's a beautiful image. I should reuse that on my next game that I'm making right now." Well, if anything, they definitely yeah. didn't talk about it cuz that's going to bring me So we've kind of gone over the movie. You get a pretty good feel for the movie. The movie is not long. It is something that you could watch 
get invested in and get probably about midway through the movie and you already know what's like going to happen. Like it's yeah. not, there's no, there's no like suspense to that. It's pretty straightforward no for sci-fi CGI. So the Earth's Gaia returns to normal. The Phantoms ascend into space and everybody's at peace. And then Aki is there holding Gray's body. She looks out over the world and goes, huh, nice job. I was going to wake Sorry, up. you're dead. In scene, right? I thought he was too, but no, nah, no, nah, we couldn't get that. All right, so movie ends. So there's a lot that goes on, a lot to talk about, about everything outside of that, right? So we talked about like Aki Ross and being like in the purple bikini, right? We talked about their plans for that, but there's some other stuff that happened within, that happened because of this movie that could have potentially impacted the whole, the big sale, which was Squaresoft selling to Enix, right? Because like, so like the whole thing was that Square had, Square had the ideas, they had money, they didn't really need Enix, but Enix had more money and they wanted something to kind of ground themselves in the Japanese market without appealing so much, uh, sorry, vice versa. They wanted to appeal more to the Western market than just grounding themselves in the Japanese market, right? They wanted to go after the big, the big bucks. And there was a lot that happened. So like specifically this movie, we talk about the budget, $137 million in 2000. That's, oh my God, that's, I would, I don't even know what the math would be on what that would be equivalent of today, but like, that's a fuck ton of money, right? It got to the point where actually at, at a point during production, we might not have gotten Final Fantasy X. Like it, it it did get to that point where they had to go and they had to take out like a couple of different loans. And then Enix was like, nah, we're not really interested in buying it anymore. And that fucking shut down like all kinds of stuff. And you just think about all of the stuff that we wouldn't have had um, just because of that, you know, that failure. Cause like, despite what you feel about the movie, the, it was a, it was a critical failure on all hundreds million. As far as like as far as like money goes, they only made eighty five million in total across all markets. Eighty five million. That's with that's with like back then it was probably more rentals. You wouldn't have digital downloads. Um, so like eighty five million, right? So you're still like, yeah, hella shy, right? What is that? That's like almost fifty two, fifty three million dollars. Two million in today's money for the budget, which is like you know that's a blockbuster. Yeah. So do you guys kind of like, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll step back. Um, do you think that the movie failing was a good thing or a bad thing as far as square having to really deliver on not just final fantasy 10, but technically, they before Enix actually bought them, they were de actively developing the Final Fantasy Online. Okay, Final Fantasy yeah. Eleven. Not just, I just call it Final Fantasy Online. Do you think if the movie hadn't turned into such a money pit that they would have come with the same price? I do. Yeah. Um, I think more importantly, though, they would have come cross-platform earlier and more often. Um, because like one of the big things, <clears throat> right. That ended up happening was 
having to sell like something close to 20% of their company or whatever of their stocks to, um, uh, to Sony, which kind of like gave them a very deeply rooted connection to, I mean, they already had one, right? Because like they were already exclusive on, um, the PlayStation, but at the same time, like they did also make crystal Chronicles, uh, eventually for the GameCube or whatever. Right. Um, Oh my God. I remember that game too, but there were, wow. I don't know. It was just kind of like, because tin was already almost released at the same time the movie was, I think tin would have been fine. Um, tin was clearly finished by the time the movie came out. Yeah. And I think, uh, kingdom hearts would have been fine because they had that fat Disney money anyways. Um, and Disney wouldn't have really let them put out anything that was going to be crap. Uh, and then with Final Fantasy 11, um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I still think like, I think it would have been fine. Um, because at the end of the day, it was both Square's and Enix's first MMO experience. So there's no guarantee for success there anyways. And to be entirely honest, what carried them through success, uh, is very much the brand, right? Like the difference of say the brand not carrying them movie success, but guaranteeing them game success, uh, is you have a completely different audience. Yeah. Not everybody that plays a final fantasy game is going to go watch a final fantasy movie. And right. Like people have that nostalgia for one game mm-hmm. normally specifically, like even if you played all of them, you have one that you like the most, almost everyone does. Right. Like, and I feel like you play the new ones. If you play the new ones, like trying to recapture that and, regardless of whether they make one movie that's terrible or five movies that's, that are terrible. Like, I don't know if that's going to take away that from anybody. Well, I mean, the, the, it, it, it's, it's pretty much been proven. This was probably the first film to really like probably set that voodoo on it, but you can't take the concept in a video game and move it into a movie. It just, uh, I mean, work. this, um, I, I don't think it I'm, couldn't work. I, I don't think it's worked yet. Still to this day. I say, I'm not, I would say I don't want to disagree with your point. I just I don't think this is the first game to have done it because Mortal Kombat came out a few years before and they set a pretty good example of why you shouldn't make video game movies. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie came out as well. But we would never have that sweet, sweet Mortal Kombat theme. It's true. And I mean, I, I mean, also enjoy Johnny Leguizamo as right and i also like making references to the goombas in that movie is what i look like whenever i wear a suit jacket but like there's and we never have angelina <laughs> jolie as tomb raider uh right um but i think like the the reason there there were a lot of things against square and square pictures consequently um going into this movie i think they bit off more than they could chew um, I think they, well, I mean, it was an ambitious, a project from right. announcement. I think right? they like, probably for them to do what they wanted to do, which is make not like, cause the other thing too, is like final fantasy. Like that was the first fully photorealistic CGI movie that had never been done before. Yeah. I mean, so, and that kind of like brings me to the other thing is like talking about how realistic it was is how much of an, in, so I think, mm, the next thing I'm going to say may or may detract from the conversation, but I think 
what this did set a very clear compass for what James Cameron ended up doing right with Avatar in the way that Avatar was done, right? Like this is like the first experiment and he took all of the lessons that that Square basically learned and failed at and was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Well, not just that, but James Cameron also yeah. benefited from 15 years of technology. Yeah. Well, he developed. I mean, that, that is true, but like for Avatar. Yeah, he developed a lot of that for that's that's like kind of like the big thing is like, which is he wanted to make Avatar. I don't want right to say after. that. Like, do you think do you think he found inspiration in this? I feel like that's such a stretch. But at the same time, I like I've maybe read something it's really that said he wanted to make Avatar immediately after the movie he did before that was that Titanic. I mean, yeah, that would have, he was, he was writing Avatar while they were filming Titanic because the technology didn't, he was writing it, writing it, which is like, I mean, the same thing for Titanic. He like pioneered some of that technology to be able to go down there and look at the ship and film those things. Um, Right. But is, I don't know. I don't like Avatar. (laughs) I think that movie's not that great, but that's beside the point, I guess. Good, it's interesting themes and it's wow, really stunning. I guess it dances with it wolves. It is. So I gotta be honest. It is dances with wolves. I know we're and supposed it also to be talking about from it. bad writing too. But like, I went and saw it in 3D, and it was off the fucking chain in the IMAX in 3D. I paid twenty two dollars for my ticket. It was fucking awesome. I had a yeah, great but you don't time. hate bad writing, and I'm very excited. <laughs> I don't think I would never hate on somebody for I, like. I'm a, like if I'm, you like it, that's awesome. I love when people enjoy things but to me avatar was just boring i guess beautiful but i didn't think it had very much substance to it well so what about this was this the same was no, it beautiful really and boring it. for you this is like right up my alley it's like ghostbusters and stargate put together so like well but what do you enjoy because that was my thing it's like i had a hard time latching i i just couldn't latch to like i didn't find any of the characters it's like their whole okay let me back up Right. So like the whole thing was that they were exploring technology to to branch that connection between human emotion and human movement. Right. And so like for me, a lot of people talk about how like, oh, yeah, at the time it was super realistic. And like I didn't really get that. If anything, it felt everything to me visually beautiful, but when broken down into pieces, very robotic. And it there were a lot of times when I was kind of like creeped out by the interactions, like uh, when they're in the jail cell and they're talking to each other and they're all crouched over looking at each or other. Like kiss. I just found that whole scene just like, I guess I just, the, I kid, right, the kiss like, and I, like, it's so the general holding the picture of his dead wife and kid. Like that was that some of that shit is creepy <laughs> and it just didn't do anything for me. Um, so I got to say, like, it's, it's beautiful, but I, I didn't find interest in it. Even the very first time when I was a kid and watched it, I didn't really find it interesting. Um, you know, it's like as an adult coming back and all of the the things that went behind the scenes and like the different, uh, you know, solutions that they had, like, um, I think someone said that for each, like, like each uh, there was a certain amount of frames and they had like 900 workstations compiling like X amount of frames, right? Some odd change frames. I mean, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Like that at the mm-hmm. time, right? 
Uh, but so I remember those are on Pentium three workstations, right? That would have been the yeah. era of Pentium. Yeah, that had been Pentium workstations. Oh, that's crazy for me from a technology standpoint. But like the movie itself doesn't deliver anything. One, it didn't make me feel like I had to go out and pre-order or even buy Final Fantasy X. I was hyped about Final Fantasy X because why? Each character was voice acted, right? Voice. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was what drew me into Final Fantasy X. That was what I was excited about, right? It's on the PlayStation. Was it PlayStation 2? PlayStation 2. Everybody's voice acted. Everything's going to have audible lines. Everyone you talk to, right? Soundtracks. That was what sold it. This, this didn't. I mean, like, I was already on board for Final Fantasy X because I was already hooked on. I like, think we had been anticip anticipating it like for a long time before it came out. Yeah. And as soon as I heard the opening song, I feel like I probably watched you play it before I got it. And as soon as that opening song came on, like that's uh, a well-known oh, fact. The Blitzball song or whatever? Yeah. Or like well, or the no, no, no. Zanarkin song? By the, no, 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 the uh, Black Mages? Zanarkin is one of my all-time favorite pieces yeah. of music in general. And anybody that knows me knows that. Oh, yeah, the Zanarkin, the Zanarkin theme. Reed at one point in our lives if yeah. he would play that during... I mean, the Blitzball theme... The, the Black Mages, the Blitzball theme, that was like, that was so incredibly killer. That whole, I remember opening that scene for the first time. The music's going and I was fucking playing it. And no, like, Black Mages didn't do. No, didn't it's the Black it Mage group. Yeah. Oh, really? So Look it's like not the Black Mages that did it and it's not Ramstein either. Um, yeah, it's the Black Mages. The Blitzball song at the beginning of Final Fantasy. 100% is the Black Mages. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I I, I could double check it, but I'm like one thousand percent sure it's the Black Mages. Um, because that's uh that's Nobu, uh that's Nobu's like him and um, Sakito, and there's another guy, and they're the Black Mages, and that's their they basically made. When they do anything that's like a rock composition, that's the name they use. Yeah, I was thinking it was submitting that over to Square. Nobuo Umetsu by himself, but yeah, I guess you are right. It is the Black Mages. The name of the song is uh, Otherworld, but I was thinking it was like, it was just Nobuo Umetsu by himself. Yeah, because the that's the other... Th so, okay, so yeah, that brings me to my my next point... And, and maybe probably one of the last things we can kind of talk about for the movie itself, right? Because I, I'm so that's the thing about Final Fantasy. We could talk about Final Fantasy forever, I think. Um, I think that the sound effects for the movie, I got a lot of pew pew Star Wars vibes from a lot of the sound yeah. effects. Um, and there were quite a, quite a few times where it didn't. The audio track didn't sync up with what was like going on as far as like ambient noise. Like as an audio nerd, I, I don't list, listen for music, right? I'm listening for like sound effects. I'm listening for background ambient, like the footsteps and stuff. A lot of that stuff basically felt like they took a pot and banged it against the wall. And that was supposed to be them walking or running on the, on like metal yeah, surfaces and stuff. Like the um, there was some very jarring stuff too. Like when they shoot the zoo. So like the, the sequence for them firing the Zeus cannon and then it hitting earth. So the, the, the firing from the Zeus cannon, that sequence is okay. But when it transitions through to the earth, it just sounds like someone took a water balloon and like threw it at another water balloon and they just like collided and they didn't pop, but that was a sound that they used. 
So how, how did you guys feel about like the audio track? Cause like it's really jarring for the experience. And that may be why I couldn't enjoy the movie overall. Cause I just have, you exclusively mean just like footsteps, ambient noises and stuff like that. Right. Like not the music soundtrack. Not the music, right. The, I thought the music was fine. I mean, I, I didn't think it was anything that was like, oh my God, but it was just, it was, it was okay. Music, like the music soundtrack got better reviews than the movie did. It did. I, I, I agree with that, but like, it just, it wasn't for me I agree. and like the different compositions coming from like seven through nine. Let's pick it. In that scale, very I mean, Star Wars reminiscent at right? points, but it felt like that was a little over the top for what was happening. I feel like um, <clears throat> I don't know. I can't remember the name of the of the composer, but they deliberately didn't go with Nobuo Uemetsu for it, which I thought was interesting. Um, I thought like things like footfall sounded really bad. Um, some things sounded fine, like the way the ship sounded when it re-entered the atmosphere. I thought sounded fine. Uh, some of the other ship noises did remind me of an X-Wing, though. Um, and... Yeah, anytime a character, like... Oh, and to, it was Elliot Goldenthal, too. And anytime a character touched something with enthusiasm, like, uh, I think it was the general who slammed his fist down, that kind of... that. I can see how that's not in sync. I kind of remember thinking to myself like that felt a little bit laggy. Um, I just didn't have like the real meat of like someone actually pounding on their desk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, it just felt like, so when I think of the budget, right. I guess that's, that's kind of like back then I probably wouldn't have cared as much, but now when I think about like how much money was spent, it clearly wasn't spent towards like the mastering of all of this. Like it's almost entirely yeah, the spent soundtrack is good. The music. Yeah. I mean, like it's just like there were some things that were. So, I mean, the reason why it took mm, so long to make is entirely because of rendering. Like um, every character, the base body for every character had more than a hundred thousand polygons. The clothes had more than 300,000 polygons. Aki's hair mm-hmm. had more than six hundred, more than sixty thousand strands of hair, and each were separately and fully animated and rendered. And that's one of the, re- I mean, but at the same time, the hair is also like one of the most amazing things about it, right? So, like, I think that's arguably worth. But there were so, mm-hmm. so, so, so many things, right, that were massively time-consuming that I ended up that I feel like ended up taking away a little bit, right? Uh, because they went over budget and they had to get more money. Um, yes, and, they did. And then like Twice. for them to not recoup all of that money. Right. Uh, it's just <sighs> mistakes are made, you know? Yeah. I mean, there are parts about the, the, the sounds that I did like, like um, there's like some really subtle stuff, like with the phantoms where they kind of use like, like these really like low bro- low mm-hmm. brass um like basically brass instruments for like the phantoms and then uh like aki there was one scene um where like she's talking about um like anytime she's like talking about like the gaia they use like this really cool like flute music score um 
there was one scene I'm trying to remember that I did really enjoy. I want to say it was like the dream sequence stuff. The dream sweet sequences were probably some of the best as far as the audio tracking goes when they're doing they're they're manipulating the left and right side of like your your theater sound, right? Um that was probably my favorite part about that. Um in fact, I probably would have been happy if they just released the dream sequence and said, yeah. here's the movie. These are the cutscenes scenes from this movie. Here you go. So, I feel like Final was, Fantasy normally like a lot of times it has songs in their games that like are very iconic and very memorable. And this movie kind of Did fell flat happen. on that front. Like it's not uh, bad music, but like I can't. I mean, they do have part of it from the mu- from the movie right now, and I watched it hours ago. Yeah, so like to to your point, I mean, the dr- that song, "The Dream Within," did get nominated for. A yeah, but you don't hear that until uh, the fucking credits win. Yeah, I ain't watching the credits for this. Yeah, I mean that's true. Like going to throw my whereas, <laughs> right? Whereas like there in Final Fantasy X, for example, you know we talked about. Um, to Xanarkand or whatever. Yes, that's the the song that plays like in the title and everything, like right when you're about to start the game. But also it features Throughout. you're not at the end of the game. You're about like three quarters of the way through it when you return to Xanarkand and the two Xanarkand song starts. And that's and you have that scene. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have that scene. You hear that music. You know it's and coming. like you yep. and it's just such a very powerfully moving song. Um, and then of course there's the Blitzball theme, uh, Otherworld or whatever, and that's like a very iconic song, I feel like. Um, and then in Final Fantasy Nine, right. And then in Final Fantasy Nine, like uh you have um the opening theme there is like very iconic, but the fucking sword fight scene, that song, which I can't think of the name of it, uh something flamenco. Uh, that song is very iconic because like that's you're doing that kind of like action sequence or whatever in the very beginning and like almost everybody knows that scene right and then in um final fantasy 7 um, right like there's a lot of things about final fantasy 7 that are iconic there's the opening theme that is kind of like synonymous with the final fantasy opening theme it's just that kind of like arpeggio Mm -hmm. Uh, or the chromatic scale, excuse me, not an arpeggio. Um, it's like the Tristam theme. Yeah, the like everybody just knows it. it. You hear, you hear those first couple of chords, so, and you already know uh, what's know, coming. Like, you're like good. I watched Reed play Final Fantasy VII when we were young, and like he play it with the sound off, playing like Outcast. So every time I see Final Fantasy VII, I just think of Hey Ya by Outcast. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> outcasted final fantasy <laughs> what were you as a child I had the radio on it wasn't like outcast would be playing like i yeah, wouldn't it, actually I mean, just it may have like, just been like one time but like it's what i think it was of. the radio Every like time it was <laughs> cloud swinging yeah, it was, uh, hey. gross yeah it was like it was just the fucking radio on my tuner and the reason why i did that is because i figured that would be better to listen to than fucking game sound was How if you're watching somebody we were. play gross Audio, audio is so gross. I, I'm sorry. I just, I can't undo. Although oh, no, I haven't an outcast. I can't undo that from my There's head. There's a line. Mm. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Eric is dead. 
Like I can't. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. I just. Mm, uh, wow. Okay. Um. Okay. So let's. We're we're kind of we're getting close to our to our hour marker here. Dane so is negotiating with extreme prejudice is my favorite line from this film. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like. Uh, I mean, if I had to pick a favorite line, which was gonna kind of be what I what I kind of led into the the wrapped up of, did you have a favorite sequence and what it was your overall, you know, like about the movie? Um, when Neil, it, it is the same scene uh, when Neil is like, Jane, stop flirting with me. I'm trying to work <laughs> yeah, here. Like, I'm trying to concentrate. Jane, do you mind not, not that whole? Yeah, do you mind not talking so I can concentrate? Yeah, when it's just him monologuing. Yeah, it's just him monologuing, which is a very Steve Buscemi thing to do, right? So, like, um, I enjoyed that. Um, so, I, I, I'll let you guys kind of take it from. I think I think I've made it pretty clear that I personally, how I felt about the movie is, eh, for the movie, yay for the history behind what led us to where we are, because um, you know, Final Fantasy sixteen was announced, and I think a lot of people are really, really going to be looking forward to that as an entry. Um, you know, within the last five years, they've also come back and said that there is a link, uh, like a canon link between Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy VII. So, like, there's there's all these things happening in the Final Fantasy world, and I thought it'd be a good one for us well, to talk about. It's like, actually a to canon wrap up link for every Final Fantasy world to be connected. In a, they're basically, but the can't one I'm talking about is that they are directly connected, not. In, in in the sense that the worlds are one in the same. Okay. I don't remember that press release. Like, I don't remember that being canon. I just remember that being a fan theory. If you're talking about the one where... Um... No, it came back. It's done, canon. Done. Well, I'm going to do research on that because I don't believe him. <laughs> well, this, this <laughs> isn't a debate, so... So, okay. So, so bef- this isn't a debate. This is my time. Okay, so... Uh, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Cody. So, C- Cody, uh, okay. sum up, man. How did you feel about the movie? Is this something you would recommend okay. to other people? This I mean, one of my favorite. Throw it on me, I man. Feel like it's a um, not necessarily a trope for Final Fantasy, but it, it's a, it's one of my favorite villain tropes, and it's the reason I really enjoy this movie. Because at one point, the villain James Woods' character, whose name is something, um, General something, he has General a he, he he does something horrible. And it gets lots of people killed, and he realizes that he's done this horrible thing, and he has this epiphany, but he just becomes more evil after the epiphany. (laughs) And to me, a villain needs this moment, and that's why I enjoyed this movie. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah, Reed, you go. Well, did you do you recommend it? Like, I, mean, I recommend well, you, it. I mean, if you yeah, would you recommend it? You already have. Yeah, I mean, because it's not something you can just like go out and watch on Netflix. You're yeah. like, you have to buy this. Obviously, they're still trying to recoup the money. You know, so twenty years later, still trying Spoilers, to get that dollar. Win. <laughs> um. So <laughs> okay, I. I do like the consistency with the villain that Cody is talking about, where it's like, um, you know, you have General Hine is very much definitely the villain, and he's sticking to his guns, and he does this terrible thing, 
and then um realizes that he did this terrible thing and like he's like oh god what have i done um and then in his mind to fix this he's like oh no 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 i'm gonna make this right i'm gonna fly up to the zeus cannon myself and i'm gonna fire that motherfucker and does worse things, right? And becomes more evil, to, like, to Cody's credit. Because like, he, does, he does stick to his guns. Because it would be unrealistic for him to, like, suddenly put two and two together and be like... Or actually, it'd be more like two and X and then come out with 202 or whatever the fuck. Like, it, he does a good job, I feel like. Like, he's ri- written well he in really this one aspect. He really believes what he's doing. Yeah, yeah he... the only he thing con- that could be done. Yes. He has conviction and he sticks to it. Um, however... The villain is also one of the things that I hate about this movie because uh, it's unrealistic. Um, a lot of the things that he does is unrealistic. This kind of society, for it to survive as long as it have, wouldn't have, like, he would not be able to do the things that he is doing. Um, there would be, like, more red tape, more bureaucracy, stop gaps, and et cetera. And it's just, I mean, it's very typical of a, of a Final Fantasy game, honestly speaking. Because, like, it's the same thing with, like, any villain in Final Fantasy. It's like, you know, if this were actually, like, like you wouldn't be able to do these things. Someone would stop you long before I ever had to. But um, this movie does Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Well, Chekhov's giant space laser. Right. Um, but there's, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that I could, like, kind of blow apart about the writing that we didn't really get to uh, because they... It's really bad in some places. Um, you know, like the existing thing we talked about at the beginning, like it is ham-fisted when it comes to any kind of character development because it feels like the writers don't know how to do character development. It's got Star Wars syndrome. Um, you can write these things, but you can't say them. Yeah, right. Um, That's fair. However, I enjoyed it as a kid. I found it somewhat kind of boring as an adult. It could just be because, like, I loosely remembered it even though it, it's been like 19 years since i've or 18 or however many years since i've seen it um i think our expectations are different too as adults like we just the the gap right i just heard me talk about right. 20 years man like right. that 20 year gap How, uh, however things, I that, there's such more, a change maybe that's why i have a lighter view on it so however i think expect nothing i think it got an unfair shake I think the bad reviews it got at its release are 100% unwarranted because if you look at contemporary movies that came out in early 2000, 2001, 1999, fucking not a lot of them, if any of them, are actually better written or contain better stories or have better storylines or better acting. I think the voice actors did an incredible job at delivering like any and all emotion. So oh, yeah. like, it does not... <clears throat> it All of its bad reviews do not sit well with me and i think it's unwarranted and unfounded and shame on the 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 us and shame on the critics in 2001 and i would recommend this to people i would argue that like even as an adult whether you're like 50 something 60 something or in your 30s or 20s watch this movie just so you can see how cool of things they did in 2001 just so you can see, like, it is incredibly impressive what they were able to accomplish in 2001 as a brand new studio that had ne- with people involved in making the movie had never done this before. 
200 yeah, employees. and like they had obviously the actors in were experienced but like the people involved in making this was like well, this I mean, was a first for everybody in the development stage nobody had done this this is like yeah. it, it was it, it was ambitious i mean again I, I at the point i made earlier is i feel like they bit off more than they can chew but like it's I don't know. I think it's one of those movies that we all should just kind of watch the same way. Like a lot of people say, oh, you should read the classics. It's like, okay, I've straddled the fence on that argument, but it's like, this is just a really cool thing. And like, I recommend it. I would recommend it to people just for the purpose of saying, Hey, we did this almost 20 years ago. And it's still really like, there's aspects of it that hold up. Right. And there's obviously more aspects that don't age well, but it's still pretty cool. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right there with both of you, I think, right? Like there are things I like about it. There are things I don't like about it. I do. I would, I would 100% say if you have it, if you have an extra $4, right. And you have to choose between four hot and spicy McChickens or watching this movie, watch this movie and be hungry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know what else to compare. Like, okay, I didn't uh, compare. Okay, that's twenty-two and, there. And then you two, you two later that night when you go to bed, uh, you two can think about Aki Ross in a purple bikini. So just, on the Wikipedia, you can. You don't have to think about it. You can see it. Wait, was she supposed to be attractive? So that's actually the thing. The reason why she got celebrated so much is because she was the least eroticized female main character in film ever at the time. For like being like the the hero or the heroine. Until the DVD special right. feature came until out. Oh, the internet got a hold of her. Until. Yeah, until Rule Until 34. that came out. Yeah, it, well, until hey, yo, we lost a lot of money, so like I yo, subscribe to this term mix a lot. <laughs> School of thinking. So she's not really up my alley. Wow. <laughs> All right. I think I think on that note, that's a good time to end this podcast. Um so we appreciate everybody coming and listening and all the people that have been supporting us. Uh who's got next week? Who's got next week? So what what do we have what do we have in store? Uh, so I was going to choose Risk Cutters a love story. Okay. So what are you going to choose now? I think I'm going to choose Man from Earth. Okay. I was wondering when someone um, was going to do that. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say like I I don't, I don't the first the, the other one says I mean, it, it that's a dark have you title. Seen it? <laughs> So that was like part of why I wanted to see it. But the reason why I immediately thought of it first, uh, talking about wrist cutters, is because when we watched it, like in high school, after we watched it, uh, Cody was like, man, that reminded me of Final Fantasy. And (laughs) I don't think he was talking about the movie. I don't think he was talking about the movie. I think he was talking about the, the game. Because like, oh, man, this is one of the points we did not talk about. The thing that makes this movie a Final Fantasy movie is you do have a cast of people come together, learn, like go on this journey to overcome some kind of apocalyptic world destroying threat and learn and love more about each other, uh, like along the way. Um, that's something that kind of happens in risk. But nobody can die. Sama. What are you talking? <laughs> right. 
No one cast Ultima. No one has wings, and, and they no all Omega die weapon. except for Sid Not and Aki. The fact that they all die. The fact that they all die lends itself to be nope. more like Final Fantasy esque. I feel like than other things. The um, old doctor didn't die. The one person who I expected to die the most. That's what I said. Never allowed to Aki die. and Doctor Sid. Yeah, well, Sid is you. That is right. Someone's got to pilot the high wind. Like it just that's he the way it's stay works. On the airship. Um, but yes. <laughs> He does stay on the airship. I, I mean, I um, can draw a conclusion. But too. it's something that, uh, that, like, that's a so. theme that kind of ends up happening in, uh, kind of in Risk Cutters: A Love Story. Um, but it's, it's not like as dark as you think. It is a black comedy. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting movie. I'll, I'll let you know by tomorrow which one we're gonna do. But we will be doing one of the two. So I guess we'll be surprising everybody. You, you'll get an, uh, an episode, and it's either going to be. The Man from Earth or the Risk Cutter movie. All right. Well, uh, that's that's it for us, guys. Uh, everybody sign off. Yep. Next toodles. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say toodles. I said toodles. He said toodles. And you're like, okay, until toodles. next time. Not within my uh, capabilities, <laughs> really. Except for that one sentence where he can say that he doesn't say it. What? <laughs>